Welcome to the Venue Solutions Podcast, where we talk about everything data center, information technology, cybersecurity, and more. I'm William, Venue's data center sales engineer and one of your hosts. Hi, I'm Eric Malatesta, Venue Data Center Infrastructure Manager and also one of your hosts. And I'm Michael Faisley, Venue's Network Infrastructure Manager and Cybersecurity Specialist. And I'm also one of your hosts. This is Venue Podcast number 77 for November 2nd, 2021. In this podcast, Michael, Eric, and myself talk about Disaster Recovery 101 and some of the common yet important things to consider when building your DR plan. All this and more on the next Venue Podcast. And welcome to another Venue Podcast. Uh, this is, uh, I'm one of your hosts, William. Hey, Will. I'm Eric. I'm Michael. And uh, hey, guys, today we don't have any special guests in the, on, in the, in the podcast studio, the virtual studio, but we, we definitely have another good uh, a podcast ready to get out to everyone. Um, today's podcast, we, we actually wanted to talk about disaster recovery. Uh, I know we, we talk about DR or DR as a service, um, you know, through, through, through all of our podcasts, it seems like we talk about cybersecurity, DR backups, but this podcast, we really wanted to focus on kind of the 101 of disaster recovery. Some of the things that we've seen out in the field, uh, when we're doing either, um, you know, real time replication for people or, um, or just cloud recovery, right. Where we're recovering, uh, servers from backup. So this, sure. This this, one, and just so you know, I mean, this is a you know maybe slight of a deep dive storage discussion. This is probably my favorite conversation to have with clients and with uh, internal employees as well. Yeah. So um, the main thing, you know, when we start looking at these topics, and, and kind of the first thing it, it comes to my mind when we start talking about disaster recovery with people is really having a plan to begin with um, before you have. Uh, a problem, right? And, and one of the things that I find that is very difficult um, to hear from customers, um, you know, especially when they call or, or, or engage with us, uh, or we hear out, you know, out, out in the world that they've had a problem and they didn't have a DR plan, right? And now they're trying to, um, you know, kind of pro, uh, kind of react, right, to the problem versus proactively running through a plan and getting up as quickly as possible. What'd you say yesterday? You said uh, disasters always happen at quote unquote, the worst time. Yeah. That, that's the thing. I, I, I was on the phone with someone the other day and, you know, I was talking to them about their plan and, and some of their past experiences. And they're like, yeah, uh, in my experiences, in my experience, this is the customer talking, right? The, the, the guy was like, uh, needing to restore servers or get up from a disaster never happens when you're ready for it. It always happens at the worst time. It happens when you're on vacation. It happens when you're, you know, at grandma's house doing Thanksgiving. It happens in the middle of the night when you're trying to sleep. So disaster so you're never saying disasters don't call in and let us know when they're coming. Yeah. Disasters typically don't say, Hey, you know, we're getting ready to, to your, your servers are getting ready to go down. You have 24 hours to get something together. <laughs> Usually yeah. it happens right away. Uh, and even things with like hurricanes that give us a little bit of a heads up, right? You, you know, we can watch the news. We can see when they're coming. A lot of times people don't think about, you know, when should I really, um, when should I really start, worrying about plan you know well i need to pl i need to be planning before hurricanes in the gulf right i need to do this well before you know 
the hurricanes usually come off the coast of Africa. They linger a little while. There's some time where it's like, okay, does it go north and go up the east coast or does it go south? Which I don't think actually hurricanes go south, but maybe maybe they do. I don't know. But they usually swing on through right into the Gulf of Mexico. And, you know, you have a few days when they're in the Gulf, but that's really not the time to start planning. I mean, you could possibly, but that's not when you really want to do it. You want to do it. You know, you want to do it when it's right off the coast of Africa. I mean, you got a few, you got a few days, maybe, but yeah. yeah. Uh, in most cases, you want to do it. You know, out of hurricane season, the year before, you want to have a well-established plan. You don't want to do it at the spur of the moment. And like, like we do, you know, every time we build a new application or roll out a new server, we actually are always thinking about how we handle this server during a disaster, you know, and and will this server be needed even during a disaster? So. It's always good to get ahead of the game with your plan ahead, right? So you plan ahead, you say this server is, is a, a critical mm-hmm. server or it's a level two server or a level three server, and you have in your mind at least these basic concepts of what am I going to do if this server goes down a disaster, how do I handle it? And then yeah. just having a simple plan that as much as that goes, it sometimes is, is all you need, right? Um, yeah. And I feel so, that it's important to make a distinction that a plan is not a solution. So you can't say, I have Zerto, so I'm <laughs> like, well, no, and I have yeah. storage replication and I have Veeam and I have yeah. Evolt and I have, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those are just tools. So every one of those things is just a tool. You can't say, I know how to fix my car because I have a screwdriver, right? So you're going to, you're going to have to ha- take some kind of plan on how you're going to, to a, address failed carburetors or fuel injectors or whatever so it's the same thing right so having the tool is part of the is partly what how what you need but that's only to execute your plan yeah so so that is correct you know you you really need you know all these tools that we have really you know whether if it's zerto or veeam or cohesity or you know storage replication or, or whatever right srm these are all good tools, but it doesn't really, it does, it's not the whole, it's not the whole solution, right? A DR plan is not, oh, I have a product, I'm good, I don't need to think about DR. It's actually much more than that. And we're going to get into some of these, you know, individual things that we, we, we ask that people think about, you know, later on in the podcast. But really kind of, you know, peeling the first layer of the onion, right, is number one, you have to know there's an onion there. So you have to go, okay, I want to have a DR plan, right? Okay, I want to you know, be able to recover from a natural disaster like a hurricane or stay puff marshmallow man, although I guess that wouldn't be a natural disaster, but you, you get what I'm trying to say, right? I think a lot of times people take um, some, some, you know, complacent attitudes. Well, I, I live in central Arkansas and so I don't get hurricanes and tornadoes and uh, snowfalls and earthquakes and blah, blah, blah. So, so why do I need to have such an elaborate, you know, DR plan? However, <laughs> you know, there's so many other things that could go wrong. You know, your building could catch fire, you know, you could have a, a sprinkler system that goes off and floods your equipment, you know, so many other things can happen yeah. that, and that's why it's called a disaster, right? That we have no idea what could happen, but anything that could bring down your servers is basically a disaster. Yeah. Cybersecurity, right? Ransomware is a, sure, does, is, is a disaster, right? Um, yeah, that's a great point. And, well, and, you know, whether you live in maybe like, I don't know, where's most the most uneventful place and no offense to anyone who lives i don't know like in utah or something right um 
you know, no hurricanes, right? No, no earthquakes, check. You know, pretty much you're not going to have a natural disaster, but guess what? Your storage array could die. Um, you know, you, you could, right. your, your, your building could burn down for some reason, right? Um, or you could get a hit by ransomware. And these are all things that you have to think about when you think about disaster, right? It's not just, okay, you know, something's happened like a hurricane. It's, it's really all these things put together. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, kind of pulling back, okay, you've decided that you're going to have a, a DR plan, right? And, and you start talking to, uh, really, it, it's very difficult sometimes because the, the, um, the IT group, who are normally the technical side, needs to definitely understand the tools that they use, but they also need to talk to the business leaders, right? And really establish, and this is the hardest, this is one of the hardest things I've seen out in the field as a sales engineer, really is, having the, the system administrators and the IT managers really push the business stakeholders on what are actually, what are real, the real world RTO and RPOs, right? And RTO, yep. kind of a recap, is, um, you know, your recovery time objective, which means how long does it take to get my servers up? And the RPO is recover point objective, you know, how much data can I actually lose in, uh, you know, after a disaster, right? If you're doing backups nightly, your RPO is, you know, 24 hours in most cases. If, if you do backups um, twice a day, then it's less than that. It could be 12 hours, right? So really, that's hard to establish um, in some cases, right? Because um, not only do you have to get that established, you also have to look at maybe I have critical servers that have a higher or I guess a lower RPO and RTO, but then I've got other servers that are non-critical. They may be still important and you need to have them recovered, but they're not, I don't need to have them up in two minutes, right? Or, or two yeah. seconds, right? So that's really, I find another thing that's very difficult really is, is working with not only the IT staff, but also the mm -hmm. business stakeholders and really identifying and it's hard questions to ask and it takes time, right? That's the thing. It, it doesn't happen overnight because what will happen is you'll have some business owners say, well, protect everything. Everything's critical, right? And then you start working on the data and start doing, whether it's backups or replication, you quickly find out it's like, oof, this is a lot of data. This is a lot of resources that I'm eating up. Yeah. Let's make a smarter Let's make a smarter move and maybe go, you know what, that uh, file server with data that no one's touched in 10 years and it's not HIPAA compliancy, there's not anything we need to really keep. It's maybe old downloads, right? That's not a critical server. Don't spend the money on doing real-time replication and have that server be up in two minutes. Yeah, yeah well, that's an uh, important... Go ahead. Sorry, Eric. That, that's an important uh, point because not everybody has a blank check that, that they can throw at this, right? Um, a, a lot of organizations will, they'll have that knee jerk reaction of why well, I, I need everything up. But when you start really going back and looking at all of the servers, they'll be like, well, no, I don't, I don't really need that one. Well, no, I don't really need that one. And then by the time you're done, they're actually saving a lot of money, right? Because they're, they're not needing all of these resources, um, so it's sure. And the other part about that, not only do I not need that server or maybe I do need that server is which one do I need first? And so yep. it's very important that you clearly define that because what you don't want in the disaster is all of the stakeholders calling the IT department saying, Hey, when is my server going to be up? Right. 
You need to have an understood, uh, agreed upon plan that says, you know, hey, your server will be up first and your server will be up second and your server will be up third and the estimated time on these are this. Here's my RTOs for each one of these. And then everybody kind of has an understanding during the, the disaster what to expect upon the recovery of your systems. So you may... You may be saying, okay, well, there was a hurricane that hit, and so I'm actually traveling from my house, you know, uh, 200 miles away to get to a hotel, but I don't have to worry because my server's not coming up first anyway, right? So so it takes a lot of stress off of everybody, the stakeholders as well as the IT department on how and what to recover first. Right, and and, and honestly, that's something that has to be communicated the, the disaster recovery plan, right, should be something that's not kept in the confines of IT. It really needs to be distributed to all of the business business leaders in each of the different work groups saying, okay, I know when my server's coming up, when my application's coming up. Um, yeah. And I think really that's the hardest part. That's one of the hardest part parts of, of doing a DR plan is really having those hard questions and establishing, you know, who comes up first, what order, uh, who has priority because that's something that that many people don't think of and they just go we'll just bring everything up and that's sometimes that's, that's sometimes not realistic sometimes it is sometimes it's like you know if you're dealing with a handful of servers okay well that's not such a big deal we can get that up all of them at the same you know roughly at the same time or very close but when you're dealing with you know tens tens you know hundreds of servers then it it takes priority you should really do it in an orchestrated fashion Right, and I think some of the things that we find a lot, and I know William, you've you've seen the same problem I've seen. It's just sometimes we don't even understand the complexity of our applications, and so we start saying, "Well, I need this particular server to be up," and then you find out that later, well, oh, that's a SQL cluster, and it actually needs to have this other file server up that's the witness that we already said was like tier yeah. three originally. So now all of a sudden that tie jumps up to be tier one, just because the clustering it requires. So understanding your applications and and how they communicate with other systems is critical to understanding what will be tier one, tier two, mm-hmm. tier three. Yeah, and it's actually, I mean, honestly, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago, that was really difficult to do because you didn't know, okay, well, I have this application. I don't really understand. Maybe it touches one SQL server. Maybe it touches four SQL servers. And it, it becomes, in the past, it was really difficult to understand where were the dependencies. Now, through 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 really good software from people like Veeam, um, and other vendors, right, There, there's orchestration tools that you can deploy sure. into your environment that will say, okay, let me go, you know, here, let me put, uh, let me create a protection group or a, a recovery group, and I'm going to put servers in there. And then it'll actually go out and find where are the dependencies, right? Okay, this server is talking on this network port to this other server. Let's identify why it's doing that. And then go, oh, well, that's why there's there's a small little, you know, RabbitMQ messaging server that needs to talk to a mail server or orchestration server somewhere or, you know, a DevOps type thing that's required for the application. And no one really thought about it. No one, you know, someone forgot that actually that component is required. But if it's not there in a DR event, then something don't work. It's broken. So Agreed. So that's one thing. Um that, you know, that, and, how, that's, and, and how are we going to utilize all these applications? Yeah, that, and that's really the, the other the other topic that is the I think one of the other hard things to think about. And really, that that's this is this is kind of rounding out the things that that really are the hard pieces, right? 
is, you know, you have to ask yourself, okay, great, I'm DRing to another environment. I've failed over to another data center, another state, another city, you know, another country, maybe. Um, how are my users going to use the application? Right. right. In a perfect world, you know, if the customers are still sitting in a building, um, you can handle internal routing and route them to a different subnet where their data is and things are fine. You know, you, you've got you've got um, maybe a data center in the next building that's adjacent on the same campus and, and, you know, things fail over and you can just change DNS and now people route to a different subnet and things just work. Right. But in, in our situations, especially with really bad disasters, where maybe a building's taken out or people are displaced for some reason, right? There's chaos, <clears throat> right? Um, they're no longer working in the same logical network. They're no longer on a corporate backbone, right? They could be, oh, I'm coming from Starbucks. Okay, great. I'm coming from grandma's house on a DSL connection. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm at a hotel and the best I can do is dial up, right? Although right. I don't think people have modems anymore. I haven't actually yeah. installed a modem in forever but let's just say that's that great, that's let's just point. say Maybe. let's just say you have a coupler modem and you take your handset and you slam it down like you did on war games and you're connected to the internet yeah you, you have know, maybe, to think maybe, about maybe you are in the hotel but the hotel has two business uh server business laptops and, and they're already consumed by other people that have been there longer than you and so you're there only on your phone so then how do you communicate so all these things weigh into you know so my accountant needs to release uh, a check to pay for a guy to go do some cleanup and 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 how does that person do it he's only on their phone he or she's on the phone yeah, all these are questions that you have to address as you're before the disaster is because in the middle of the disaster you'll never come up with the solution right and that's no. the thing and, and that's really the thing is is you know you, you have to ask yourself how are my users gonna connect to my environment to my applications don't necessarily think server but think about applications how are they going to connect if they have internet connection so the, can they get connected can they get to my network right mm -hmm. do they have vpns installed or do they have vpn set to where i can get to my protected uh, corporate DR network. And then really what, what end user device are they going to use? Are they going to use a cell phone? Are they going to use a laptop that they picked up before the event happened and they were able to stick their corporate laptop in their bag and, and run? Um, or are they going to Best Buy, buying a brand new laptop off of a shelf, coming home with it and putting it on a desk and go, okay, now what? You know? Yeah. And questions? I mean, so, this you know, we we briefly uh, like touched on it and, and then moved on, but it's super important that this all be documented and everybody understand what they need to do in a disaster because a disaster is stressful enough as is, right? Especially if people are displaced or, you know, out of power or, or you know, you're, you're also worried about the business. You don't need the added stress of, well, now what do I do, right? If, if the process is documented and everybody is aware of how they need to access their applications, what order these servers are going to come back online, it's one less thing to have to worry about. So in, that, in some cases, you may even have to release a printed version of this thing that everybody keeps with them, or at least yep. the, upper, the upper management keeps with them as well, right? So... You know, and that's something that you might re, re, renew every six to 12 months as well, right? So great point, Michael. Your documentation is great, but however, you, I documented it in my wiki and my wiki's down. 
right? Yeah, so, sure. so now what do I do? So, so it's always good to have that, that, that documentation in a printed format somewhere that some human being can say, Hey guys, hold on. I got, the, I got the run book. Look, yep. we're on step five. Don't worry. Here's where we are. This is what we've done so far. This is what we're doing next. Right. And, and so at least having one person that could be holding that playbook, it's best to have two or three, obviously, but uh, have that playbook in front of them. And then it's, uh, your process is documented. And let's face it. Let's say that your stuff is in Amazon or it's in, you know, a venues data center or venues cloud or, or some other cloud. You know, we got thousands of competitors to us. What if you had a playbook and you had no way of executing it yourself, but you could call that remote knock and say, hey, this is what I need you to do for me, yeah. right? Oh, my gosh. Just because you had the playbook documented, now the remote hands have so much knowledge to be able to help you yeah. Uh, and the, the, the playbook doesn't necessarily need to be a book. I mean, it, it doesn't need to be in most sure. cases, the, the disaster recovery plans that we've seen moving, you know, lately really have been coming, have been getting smaller and smaller from the standpoint of um, a lot of the automation with our present tools are helping things out. Right. So it, it's no longer, Oh, I have a, you know, a 30 page DR plan, right. It's more of a, okay, I've got a few modules that I need to, to do first and then think about, you know, other things in the DR plan, right? My servers are up. Now let me think about, you know, net, networking or how are users going to, you know, are users okay in a safe place to work? So it gets easier and easier as our tool set becomes more, more I'm not going to say complex, but more uh, powerful, right? Um, one last thing I'll put as, as a kind of a pet peeve, <laughs> And I deal with this sometimes when, when I'm working with customers who are looking at DR plans or even backups or even just whatever, right, is don't try and upgrade your operating systems right before a DR plan. <laughs> if you've got that Windows Server 2003 or 2008 that's still running and you're building your DR event, um, you know, to maybe fail those machines over, it's probably a good idea to go ahead and upgrade that server before, you know, before the disaster happens, you know, because a lot of these operating systems, and I see a lot of this out in the field, people still are running uh, 2003, 2008, even 2012 is becoming, as they say, long in the tooth. And a lot of the um, security updates are becoming, you know, I think 2012 maybe still have some security updates that are out there, but I know 2008 is no longer supported. I mean, it's, out of, and let's face it. Let's life. face it. So, so the worst thing that can happen is, hey, I got this machine powered on, but my application is not working. Right. So, so your your plan worked. The the whatever tool you're using to power it on remotely, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff worked. However, I need support. Well, guess what? 2003 and 2008, Microsoft will turn you away. Red Hat Linux four or whatever they're going to turn you away, right? So they're going to say that is not supported. They won't even help you. Yeah. So, so that, that time of event is, is kind of got you stuck. Yep. So yeah, I think this great point don't, is, is d don't be, don't compound a DR event with now having to go, Oh gee, I have to fix my broken app, broken application when I should have done it when I was, you know, Everything was up Agreed. and running, no problem. And, and again, I'm not, you know, no, no, everyone has reasons for, for doing something. But in most cases, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say, oh, it's not broke, don't fix it. 
It's not broke yet. And usually, yeah. like DR events, it breaks at the worst time. So, agree. Yeah. Agree. okay, so rant over. Um, well, so, along yeah. the same veins, William, uh, you know, something you and I talked about yesterday, you know, uh, we don't see people doing a lot of this and, and, and they don't think it's be important, but building your, your applications to be highly available, right? So do, do I have to have a, a plan for a DR that re- requires me to power on and power off remotely and all those things? Or can I build an application that has the resiliency already built into it so that when the disaster ha- occurs – it just fails over automatically somewhere right. else, right? So you think about SQL. SQL's been doing this for years. Exchange has been doing this in years. ESX has been doing this in where uh, Hyper-V, all those kind of things can do some of these things. So how much of that can you leverage to to be highly available? So And what would be highly available? A few things I can think off the top of my head would be that need to be highly available is your website. Some way to let people know that, hey, we are in the middle of a disaster, right? So that website needs to be highly available. Your your mailing system needs to be highly available, whether that's in your own data center or whether that's out in the cloud, right? You want to make sure that whatever you're consuming from your cloud provider is highly redundant. So these are ways of of building in uh, high availability that have – Nothing to do necessarily with DR, but everything to do with DR because that's what keeps you up and keeps you in communication, right? Right. And maybe there's a few other things that you can do with it. Maybe you want to keep your accounting system highly available, and maybe you want to keep other, these other systems. I'm not to say who, what, you, what, you, what should be or shouldn't be. Well, there, there we are find, some there are some workloads, and there's some some applications that actually it's a no brainer, right? That yeah. actually it's it's really lending itself. You know, they always say build your application to be highly available versus taking right. a legacy application and doing something like a failover, failback, or a Zerto or recovery, right? And an example of this uh, was something I'll use recently. A few weeks ago, I was working with a customer who, who came to us and said, hey, I have a Linux server. Uh, I have, you know, a web server running Apache, um, maybe some Nginx, and I was doing uh, Postgres SQL. And they were like, I want to do DR, right? Because I can't, I really don't want my website to go down. And, you know, we started talking about it. I was like, well, you know, you can do Zerto. And Zerto works fine with Linux boxes. You can fail over Linux. That's not a problem. But we started talking about this. And I was like, you know what? Um, Because your resource requirements aren't that heavy, right? Uh, Why don't we just spin up a, a web server and a database server in our public cloud that's perpetually running? And we can actually do things like rsync, the the web application directories we could rsync the um the 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 change data right and also we can do postgres sql um replication to where if the whole site goes down you could do something like network load balancing and actually really don't appear to go down i mean maybe some time for dns to update right if there's some things you haven't considered with time to live and stuff but it's like boom you know your dr plan if you're using yeah, even if you're using a global load balancer, right? Right. Well, that's what we were looking at doing yeah. is doing something that actually like Microsoft DNS, something that would load balance between the two sites, right? So this way, if a site went down, whether if it's for disaster or even maintenance, you've got the other leg that's up and running and your network traffic can be routed to that other that other location. And I think the customer was like, you know what? Uh, that's really a good idea. Uh, we need to do some work on our back end on the database, but... Uh, that's what we're going to do instead of doing, you know, your conventional Zerto, which still works, 
But there's a little bit of elegance in doing something where I don't have to go fail over. It just automatically takes it. Another sure. example that I was working with another customer was really uh, DFS, right? Distributed file system, right? Their, 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 their critical application was their um, folders, right? Their, their, their file server. And, you know, we we're like, yeah, we can fail it over or we can, um, you know, we can, we can um, back it up and recover it. But maybe do something like DFS, distributed file system in Windows, which... You know, we have a site-to-site -site VPN or an MPLS circuit between the two sites. We can create a, a DFS uh, share and then do replication between the two sites. And really, that gives you another level of protection and really elegance where you don't necessarily have to fail over anymore. Your data is just available in two places. Sure. That's a great point, William. So. Well, I mean, I think the reason why a lot of people don't do that is, like you were saying earlier, is, you know, it's, it's, it's resources that are being consumed somewhere in the world. And that brings up the question is, where are they being, being consumed? You know, where, where am I recovering my data at? Um, you know, uh, and what is that going to cost me and all those kind of things, right? So so you need to have that kind of understood. I'm going to, maybe, I'm, maybe I own a building 200 miles away and I can get some kind of fast links and I can just have a duplicate of everything I own in my, in my building, my primary building, and I can have a duplicate in the secondary building and that's my DR plan which is, by the way, a great plan. Um, very costly, right? So now you have to have a building, yeah. you have to own that building, you have to have electricity in that building, you have to have generators, and you have to have all the equipment. So if I have $2 million worth of equipment in, in location one, I have $2 million location uh, equipment location two, and my cost is just astronomical. So I think most people these days, and William, you do this way more than I do, but I think most people are looking at, you know, people like us, and, and our competitors that do some type of public cloud. Right, yeah. yeah. A lot of our customers come to us um, because they have an idea of how much it does cost to actually do, you know, build a second environment for DR. And a lot of time, in a lot of cases, that DR environment is just sitting there, right? If you have maybe a co-location in another data center or maybe like another um, another campus, another building in your campus where you've got other gear guess what having another storage array network another group of esx hosts and so on and so forth costs money in most and in most cases that dr equipment is basically not being used during um normal business time right you're running production on the production gear your secondary gear is sitting there i mean maybe you could do like seti stuff or something on it or like search for extraterrestrials while it's not doing anything and you'd feel good about that or you know, gene sequencing on this, but you know, and honestly, you're probably not using it, right? Uh, maybe right. you're using old hardware, which you're like, okay, well, I'm going to fail over this old gear. Well, when you fail over, you go, oof, this is old gear. <laughs> this yeah. stuff is slow, right? Who <laughs> this, this DR event ain't so ain't so good. Um, you know, so you have to start thinking about. That's why a lot of customers come to us here at Venue because, and it doesn't necessarily have to be us. It could be Microsoft Azure, uh, Amazon AWS. You know, any type of multi-tenant cloud service where the customer is not buying gear. You know, capital expense. I need to go spend fifty thousand dollars, eighty thousand dollars on a secondary DR uh, footprint, right? They want to consume it as a service. They pay so much a month. Maybe they have a reservation fee of what they're reserving when it comes to RAM and storage. It's like, hey, I'm not having to go buy a whole bunch of hardware and it's just a monthly fee. 
you know? So that's why customers come to us and we leverage, you know, our multi-tenant public cloud because we can do this at scale for customers. And we have some really good tools in our, I guess, what, quiver, I guess they call it. You know, your, your, I guess you put arrows in a quiver, right? So you hold your, yeah. yeah. You know, so we have things like Zerto, right, that allow us to do real-time replication to our VMware-based, vCloud Director-based um, cloud. And that's a very elegant solution <laughs> for customers, right? Um, we have our public cloud for doing things like we talked about, right, where we build our application uh, to be resilient, right? So we're not doing failover, failback, and recovery. It it just up and run. It just stays up and running. By the way, you still have even when you're building your application. I'm just going to mention this because someone may have a question. Even if you're building your application to be highly available, you still got to back it up, right? So yeah. So I, well, that's a great point, William. The, and um, the backups are for a totally different purpose, but maybe they're also used during DR. Maybe what you say is, look, I only. Uh, I'm going to have a DR. <clears throat> I don't know how long the DR is going to take, but if the DR is only going to last a day or two or three days, I only need these 15 servers up, right? So so those are the ones you you, you protect with the highest level of, of protection and the best tools with which to recover with quickly and, and efficiently. Right. Maybe everything else to say, you say, well, these other 20 servers, hey, if, I, <clears throat> if I'm down a week, I might need them, but I can restore from a backup. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So with our public cloud, that's really, you know, we, we have that Zerto tool, which we've been running for a number of years. And that thing is really, that is the easy button for failing over, failing back. There are some things you have to think about, right? You, you still have to kind of keep your wits about you. But it makes, it makes what used to be really hard back in the day extremely easy, right? Even to the point where maybe you forget certain things. It's so easy. We or also, maybe it makes it some of the things you used to have in the day cheaper. For instance, SRM. Right, so SRM requires a whole ESX platform and 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 underlying SAN replication and all that, right? With which to to bring up. So that's a very expensive solution. Whereas something like a Zerto thing combined with backups is much less ex- expensive and therefore much more palatable. Right, right. Um, you know, so we do have the the high speed replication. We also do things like uh, agent recovery, right? Which is what what a lot of people use when they they have a multi tenant cloud like AWS or Azure that the the customer doesn't have underlying access to the hypervisor, right? So in this case, it becomes, hey, you know, we can install a piece of software, the same software that you're backing up your server with. We can take those backups back them up to the same data center where we're intending to recover you in the event of a uh, you know DR event. And then at sure. the point of a failure, we can bring you back up reasonably quickly, right? All things, you know, and I say this, it always depends, right? If you say, I want to be, I have, you know, terabytes of data I got to recover and I need it done in two minutes. Well, that's going to be difficult, but uh, we can get you recovered in a very timely fashion. And in most cases, this meets the customer's RTO, okay? Um, the other thing is, and a lot of customers I meet out in the field still have physical servers, right? I have, um, you know, I have a SQL database that is running a physical box, and it's, I'm never going to move it from that. Um, you know, maybe they, they, they need to back it up, but they need to take that next step and go, well, what happens if my building burns down? Hmm, I got to go procure hardware, and then I got to try to recover from disk or tape or, you know, papyrus or whatever it is how do i do this and a lot of times we can make that a lot easier by coupling our backup tool with a um, cloud recovery option right that makes things a lot more palatable for customers. so will you 
you had mentioned public cloud, you know, as as somewhere where customers will recover to. Do we ever, you know, see customers elect for maybe a private cloud? And and if so, why why would they do that yeah, instead um, for DR? So the flexibility is one thing I like about the flexibility of a venue is, you know, we, we always start off thinking about the customer with regards to price and regards to what what's it's like what is it all saying use the minimum amount of medicine to cure the patient right so in many cases we we try and leverage public cloud because it is cost effective powerful and flexible okay and it, it really i would say can fit the bill for a very large percentage of customers right but when we have customers that need to have maybe more flexibility. Maybe they say, look, you know, Zerto is great and all, but I have um, Cohesity or I have Rubrik or I want to have, I'm really in, I really love my Veeam server, right? And I want to do Veeam replication jobs, not just backup jobs, but actually Veeam replica jobs. Um, these tools, then we can leverage private cloud, which all private cloud is, is basically we give the customer um, access to the underlying hypervisor. So we give them access to vCenter, to vSphere, and uh, networking components that bridge the gap between the customer premises and our cloud. And um, then the customer really has carte blanche access to really decide what tool works best for them, right? It could be maybe I want to do SRM, maybe I want to do you know Cohesity, like I said. And that really becomes flexible. There's always an ad, possibly an additional cost, you know, but that environment is also dedicated to the customer, right? It's not multi-tenant. So if the customer is concerned yeah. about multi-tenancy, which really becomes less and less of a concern as the years go on, because no one, you know, the multi-tenant cloud is very secure. We make it even more secure with things like Fortinet, uh, uh, two-factor uh, two authentication, which we're rolling out to our clouds, our public clouds. Um, and private, I, as I would assume, that it, it really makes it, um, gives the customer the, the ultimate inflexibility, right? Right. So, my, Michael, sure enough, every so often there is still that need for that private cloud. And, and like Will said, we, we don't start there. We typically start with public clouds because we know that we can give you them a, a public cloud solution at a more affordable cost because of obviously – be multi-tenanted, the cost of the hardware is spread across everybody, right? Whereas if I need five blades to manage my private cloud, well, I'm putting the cost of that five blades as a, as a single environment. So um, we, we can, we're always happy to go there if people want that. And it's just as easy for us to spin that out, by the way. It's not much more complicated or difficult. Actually, in many cases, it's easier to spin out. Um, it's just more costly for the client. So we, we, we like to stay away from that where we can, but um, always willing to do that in, the, in cases. And, and you'll see this too. I mean, you'll see where people have an ESX running in AWS, right? So there's ESX VMware platforms that are dedicated, ESX platforms running on uh, dedicated AWS hardware, but there is a huge upfront cost for that, right? That, that, that the client has to pay for whether they're using it or not kind of thing, right? So uh, you're paying for minimal commitments on those kind of platforms. And and so just like that, it's the same thing we do here is we try to steer you away from there if we can, 
uh, and if it makes sense. But if it doesn't make sense, we're happy to drop right back into a private cloud environment. And sometimes you'll find that it's something simple, like I have a compliance that has to be met where I yeah. can't be sitting on the same server as you know a bank or something like that. I don't know why, but just to say something like that. Yeah, and it's really so, not – go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. I think, Will, you're hitting on this where I'm no, going no, with it, too. No, I, I was just going to say, really, it, it's not, not necessarily about cost, high or low, or what things cost. I mean, it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it, is it in a budget, right? And this goes back to knowing your application. This goes back to saying, okay, Mr. Business Stakeholder or CIO, CFO, CEO, you know, how, how critical are our servers unless I identify what's critical, what's not, Um but it really comes down to when, it, when you start talking about public and private cloud, it really comes down to cost is important, but what's the value am I getting? What is the value of me going public cloud versus private cloud? And are there any specific requirements that just say you really need to be in private cloud? I won't say that private cloud is, you know, you know, if, if I, would, I wouldn't say that if public cloud costs a dollar, private cloud, private cloud costs, you know, Eighty dollars is it may not be that wide of gulf of different different cost, but it's just something to be aware of. And I think it's it it is it behooves customers to look internally and go, okay, really, what are my needs, and you know have that discussion. And we help customers with this, you know, make the decision and and, and see if there's anything glaring out there that we really think you know maybe private cloud is the right solution for you. And at the end of the day, it really is what's best for the customer when catastrophe happens right that way when you're you're recovering your you know when you're when your vms are up and your business is back up and running in the middle of a disaster and you haven't gone down or you you went down for a few minutes or a few hours or whatever you're back up without really blipping and we see this during hurricane season right i mean i remember back in the days of katrina when we had um one of the law one of the law firms um went down you know, during the power outages and the floods and the guy's like, look, you know, I just built my DR plan. You know, I'm, I'm going to, let's just, let's just start working on it. I know there may be hiccups moving forward, but we're coming to your business continuity center to set up and start working. And literally by the time they got to the data center, we had their critical servers up and running and they, their active directory was up and running. They could sit in, log into the machine, control, delete, and, use, and their users could start working. And literally the guy was almost in tears and he was like, God, you know, I lost my house, my car, everything, but my family is here and my business is still up and running. This means more to me than anything I would have called. This is priceless, right? Yeah. And, and that's the thing to think about, right? No, no one, it's like insurance, right? No one really is, eh, it's, a, it's a pain in the butt to pay for, but when you need it, you're sure glad you have it. It took us 40 minutes to get to that word, but yeah, Will, you're you're exactly right. I mean, when you think of DR, you think of it like an insurance plan. You never really want to use your insurance plan, but it's, you know, and there's a cost to your insurance plan, and you wouldn't want to live without your insurance plan, so DR is very similar to that. Right. So looking at like, you know, you know and some customers will come to us, and, and this kind of is, is going back to what we said earlier, you know, which do I use? You know, with customer will say, well, do I want to do Zerto? Do I want to do cloud recovery? And it really goes back to, you know, two methodologies, which is real-time replication, you know, whether we're doing, you know, very, very low RPO, very low RTO. Uh, you're using things like maybe Zerto or Veeam CDP or Cohesity. Um, you know, using these tools that give the customer the very, very quick failover 
and fail back in, mo in many cases to a cloud, right? Or to another data center or another server room, right? Um, and that, that is, that, those technologies are really better suited for your, your, your critical business applications. The ones that you've pointed out in your, in your DR plan previously, hey, these out of my 10 servers, these five or four are the ones that can't go down, or I don't need to spend hours getting them up. They need to be up in 10 minutes. Yeah, that's the technology you use. And what's nice about what we do here at Venue is you can really mix and match. You don't have to go all Zerto or all backup and recovery or, or the backup data protection recovery services. You can mix them. Let me do, you know, these 10 servers Zerto and then the other fifth, you know, 15 or two or whatever. I can just, you know, build a blank VM, pop in the recovery media, pull down the image from um, from one of our vaults at a data center and then recover the data and get it back up and running. And this goes back into the critical thing when we first start talking in this podcast of really identifying what servers are your critical servers. And then, and then take it to a next, next level. I mean, so, so, so I've powered these things on, but how does, you know, how do they get out to the world? How, how, yeah. how is the net, how these servers communicate? So back in my office, I had four VLANs and I had a firewall and I had this, that, and the other. How do I have, that has to be thought out in advance so that you have that infrastructure laid out in wherever you're moving to, right? So if yep. you're moving to public cloud, it needs to be configured in public cloud. If you've got a private cloud, it needs to be configured in your private cloud. So this stuff has to be kind of kind of thought out. And here's the key, tested. Yes. Right. So yeah. you have to build these networks. You have to build your your firewall rules and your your routing rules and all your infrastructure that you, that you, that you will never hope to use. And then you have to test it so that when Active Directory fails over, or if Active Directory is currently running, that's great, even better. But when your SQL Server fails over, it can communicate to that Active Directory domain controller. And and by the way, the web server when it comes up and communicates with SQL and gets this database, that that the world can actually hit it, and the world can hit it securely where you know the same rules that were in effect at the at the source side are in effect at the destination side so so this yeah. is something that i think we we find people forget about almost right they, yeah. hey i didn't test that part right and yeah. the the testing is important because more than likely whatever plan you come up with is not going to be perfect the first time Right. You're, you're going to, you're, and in fact, it's almost a hundred percent sure that it's not going to be perfect the first time. So if, even if you take the time to plan, which everybody should, and a DR event comes, if you have not tested it, you're going to run into problems. But if you test it and test it properly, and when I say test it properly, you know, you don't have your users at their office trying to test it, right? You act like there's an event where the users are, are you know, you have them go to a Starbucks, like Will said earlier, right, well, to, to actually do that. I think, sure, if that's part I of the plan, right. I think what you can do is you, you don't have to go all in on day one, right? You can say, okay, I'm going to test, I, I'm going to, and I really feel it's multiple layers of testing that you need to go through, right? Maybe I want to go ahead and test in a non-destructive, easy way that I can test in the middle of the day without bringing any users down. Let me just make sure my servers come up, right? And, and you can fail over those machines, right? You can fail over Active Directory in an isolated environment that's not going to monkey around with any of your production gear. And you can go, okay, let me see how long it took those servers to come up. Is everything connected? 
um, you know, do the application services start up properly? And if you say yes to those, you're going to go, okay, that level of testing was successful. That doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you should stop, right? It's like, okay, the, 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 the heavy lifting's done. Now let me fine tune it. Let me go take maybe some of my lesser critical servers and fail those over in real time and all the dependent services for that application and see, okay, Mr. User, uh, go to Starbucks and see if you can work, you know, take your VP, yeah. take your laptop with the VPN client installed, uh, bring it over and see if it comes up. Right. Yeah. And you can test that with lower impact. And at some point in time, you're like, I really need to do a full DR test. But when you're doing this full DR test, your confidence is at a greater level that you don't mind doing a full DR test because you've tested things in a stepwise uh, method, you know, methodical, methodical way to where you're not scared to do a DR plan. And what I will say is a lot of clients that, that we work with really are hesitant to do that full DR test because they're like, mm, that's a lot to do at one time. And they need to think about, let me take it in chunks. And kind well, of build I, think, off of I think that's great. I think that's a great point. I think one of the things that you'll find a lot of times is you find these weird oddities with your environment. For instance, you know, you, you fail over this VM and it just won't start the services. And you're like, why won't it start the services? So you right. dig down into the application, you find out, oh, it's tied to a machine ID for licensing. Right. Well, when yeah. you filled it over, it got a new machine ID or a new Mac address, maybe, and and that that stuff was critical to your Oracle licensing or some kind of other application licensing that you're using. So now, how do I? So yes, I can power this machine up, and it comes up, and it can communicate with my Active Directory domain controller, can communicate with Firewall, can get out to the web, blah blah blah. Yeah. But the application won't start itself. So you find okay. So now I need I know that when I power this on, I have other things to do, and I just document that whatever right. those steps are, right? And then that's step one. But maybe in the future, step two or three or four down the road, you find out there's a way to automate changing that information. But at least step one, you've identified that, right? Yeah. So yeah. so I think those are some of the things you find when you do these tests that are just so hard to find otherwise, right? Because you know someone installed that server. Five years ago, they were a consultant. You know, uh, you weren't involved with it, so you didn't know the nuances of it. You didn't think to even ask the nuances of it. And so, those are the kind of things you discover when you do those stepped uh, testing that you were talking about. You know, just a two or three servers. Do they even power on? Kind of thing. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, so you know, make sure you have all those tests, your your things tested. Make sure your network configuration is is set up and your firewall rules. Your, your VPNs are, are, are kind of set up and tested before the DR event, right? Or before yep. you even test, right? You know, before the DR event, you want to be testing, but you want to make sure these are set up. And again, the importance of keeping your cybersecurity best practices in effect, even at the DR site, right? Because again, you don't want to compound the problem of being in a DR event with where people are doing outside of the normal work and then have to deal with ransomware or you know, intrusion, data breaches, things like that. So you really want to also consider your cybersecurity event. So cybersecurity cyber practices. Right. And your cybersecurity is going to help also, I think, help drive how your users connect, right? So back to yep. that discussion we were having earlier. So do right. I have laptops and desktops or phones or do I have do I have workstations in a like what you call it, a business continuity system that people have to go to and sit down at? And then how do we secure those? And, and do I need VPN configuration? Do I need a VPN configuration that links my building to the DR site for one type of failure? So I have a, a SAN failure or do I need to have a, a SSL VPN? So that each individual uh, uh, in device can connect, or do I need to have both? 
yeah. and, and what's the rules and, and the firewall settings and, and, and uh, security settings for these devices that, that I, I run. Um, and, and all those things play into to your connectivity because the last thing you want to do is have all the stuff recovered in the account that says I can't connect to something. Right. And right. she's trying to cut, she or he's trying to cut a check to get, you know, one last piece of your disaster plan coming up or maybe to, to pay for the building to have someone go clean it out because it flooded and she can't cut, she can't cut the check. Right. Because she can't get in. Right. The other thing to consider that, that I, I, I have people think about when, especially when we're dealing with remote users where the customer doesn't really know, or there's no clear cut way saying, okay, when we declare a disaster, all the users are going to, you know, this this recovery center and they're sitting down at a desktop and their desktop is a standard desktop right. with corporate configuration. So we, we have to think about also what happens when a customer says, well, I'm taking my iPad and keyboard and mouse and going and working, or I'm, I'm going to run by Best Buy to pick up a, a Chromebook or a, you know, a, a low end windows desktop. Well, they get these machines to their location and log in, and it's like, well, it's it's not connected to Active Directory. It's it's not a non-standard configuration. So that's why when we when we're working with clients, a lot of times we'll mention, you know, this may be the good time to think about things like, and this is a simple fix, but it works really well, is Microsoft Remote Desktop Services, right? Where yeah. a customer can uh, take a plain Jane laptop that they get from Best Buy, plug it in, you know, patch it, do the normal thing. And then install the VPN client, get connected to the DR network, and then literally launch a web browser and remote desktop into a standard desktop where all their business applications are already installed, pre-configured, domains, printers are set up. And it just makes life a lot easier because now the, the end user goes, oh, I'm in a relatively familiar uh, environment to do work. And, 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 the just, benefit, and the benefit of that is much like Citrix, right? The benefit of that is that you can secure that server. Right, so you, right. So, so you have now a, a, an entry point to your world that only, you know, you have to VPN in, and then from the VPN, you either Citrix or your remote desktop, and then from there, the, that box can access other things, but nothing else can. So you have a, a, even a better defined security point for that disaster as well. That's a great point, William. Right, yeah. So anyway, so that's that's that. Those are things that are all we we help customers think about it. You know, do you need a cellular data plan on your phone to, if you're in the middle of, um, you know, somewhere with without internet connection, or do I need a little cellular device or whatever? So it's just things we 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 try and we try and help customers remember. And I think having this in in a you know for customers consumed by the pot by this podcast will be helpful right so in terms of like kind of lightning round because i think we're coming up on almost an hour and we don't want to like you know completely make people listen to us for a full hour because it may be too long um yak about this stuff but kind of lightning round you know what are things that you know make dr a lot easier for customers uh when they're starting that dr plan really and i think the first is just have a plan you know if you can test it great uh, you know, it's better to have a loose plan than not have a plan at all and go, well, I don't know what to do now. Right. Well, and I so, think to, and to follow up on that is to have your employees know the plan. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. here's the thing. So we, we think about this kind of funny. We, we think about doing f uh, fire alarm at 
protest all the time, and, and everybody's got to get up out of the building, stand up out of their desk. Someone's the person that's saying, hey, I made sure that no one else is in this area, that you've got, you've got people assigned to those roles, and everybody goes and they meet out by the light pole, and you do a roll call, and you say the fire drill was successful, right? Well, the same kind of thing with this DR plan, right? Do, do all of the employees know what the DR plan is? When they're, when they're hopping out of their desk because there's a fire and the building burns down that night, they're saying, okay, we have to initiate this DR plan. And then all of them say, are they all calling each other? Say, what do we do? Or do they all say, Hey, I know what I need to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. The point, the point really is, is just don't, you know, whether you make it very complex or very streamlined or whatnot, even if you just have a plan that you you've kind of had sure. a, a just a, you know an inkling of you know from an IT perspective knowing what you kind of want to do and how to do it is better than not thinking about it and sticking your head in the sand like a you know an ostrich or something right yeah right, right. the other thing is is you know one of one of the other things that I think is kind of on a lightning round uh, is is to help in with DR events is really have some part of your Active Directory running at the DR site, right? Because a lot of times I know when we're talking about things like Zerto or even um, agent recovery, right? If you've got a fresh copy, and this isn't a Windows environment, right? We're not talking like Linux or, you know, if you're a complete Linux shop, then, you know, you can fast forward us through this, right? Um, I think you having- need a copy of your LDAP structure. Yeah, LDAP, you know, if you're doing that or, or whatnot, yeah. you still need to have some type of, you know, whatever authentication method you use, you need to have right. replicated. But the point is, uh, if you can actually have that Active Directory running perpetually at the DR site and you have sites and services configured correctly for authentication, it just makes it a lot easier. I mean, I know back from days back in the field, the hardest thing was is you needed to recover Active Directory, but then, oof, I got to go seize roles, you know, conf- you know, mess around with the global catalog, things like this. And not that it, you can't do it. it there's a definite way to, to get those problems resolved where – become it really doesn't become a problem but if you can shave off 20 minutes of doing that it just helps the plan out so have active directory you know replicated yeah. across at the dr site plus i mean who, who you always got to have multiple ad servers right who i've never heard someone say i have too many ad servers Right, right. <laughs> I, mean, I guess you could have, but I mean, you know. And, and I think one of the, the, the last things that I would like to touch on, and it's something Michael said yesterday, actually, which is, you know, it is critical that a company know when to declare a disaster, right? So uh, you, you see a hurricane coming, and it enters the Gulf. Is that time to call, call the disaster? Probably not, it's, but it is time to start executing some kind of idea of the plan of your DR. Do we have our DR plan? Do we have it printed out? Do do we know who's going to be executing what? Should we get to a point? And then let's say that I, I, I live in Grand Isle and uh, I have a critical business that all runs out of my house in Grand Isle and whatnot. And I got a hurricane level three coming through. Should I probably declare the disaster before the hurricane hits? Most likely, right? Likely say, look, we're 24 hours from this. I'm not positive it's going to hit us or not. It could jog left or right. But however, it's not worth me, you know, uh, uh, risking this. Let's fail to my my disaster plan forward. Let's get my systems running remotely. And then I'm going to evacuate from Grand Isle and be somewhere safe, and my business is going to continue to run. And then let's just say the hurricane jogs right and goes all the way over to Mobile Bay. It doesn't hit us. Great. I go home. 
I call my disaster recovery company. I say, look, I'm, I'm done. I'd like to fail back. And then you hit the, you, you just execute the plan to fail back. Right. I think the, those kind of things are critical to know when you, when you should call the, the disaster, because the last thing you want to happen is you're out, but so is 17 other people that are out and they're all trying to vie for the same resources, whether it's AT&T cell phones or whether it's, you know, uh, Cox Internet or whether it's venue data center services, they're all trying to make those same phone calls to get help. And, uh, and those vendors can only help so many people simultaneously. And right. it's not unique to hurricanes, right? We, we talked Absolutely about this not. yesterday as well. It's wildfires. It's ice storms for, for places that are not used to it, right? They don't, their infrastructure is not built to, you know, with, withstand that, um, I mean, it, it, it could be a, a wide array of things, a, a, a lingering power outage. And, and Eric, like you said, you know, it it could be, all right, I'm running on gins, but I only have so many hours of fuel. At what point do I need to to trigger that? Right. Well, and, you know, that's a good reason for maybe you don't want to do fail over your DR plan is because maybe, you know, it becomes like, well, OK, I, I know the weather's good out. Uh, I'm going to have maybe there's a small power outage because something is going on. And I say, well, you know what? I got gins to run for 24 hours. Right. And it's not like a, um, you know, my systems are down. It's not like I have a building that's burned down, but maybe I know I'm going to have, you know, maybe 15 minutes of um of power outage do i have enough power you know fuel in my gens or ups's to cover that maybe i don't want to fail over completely when the 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 threat the risk level of a catastrophic event happening really is relatively low and and this really this really this really is on a case-by-case basis we can't make that decision for the customer maybe we can make suggestions but i would say hey you know if 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 um, you've got, you know, your power utility companies in your area and they're doing some maintenance, um, you know, we, we don't suspect going down, but maybe we'll have a, you know, a five minute outage. Is it really worth failing over, especially if you've got things like UPS and generators and things like that at your site? You may go, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to bet that I'm not going to have an outage. And in many cases, it's a non-event, Right. Correct. Uh, but think, maybe well, then I think, you're making, I think you're making great points, but, William, that, that, that sometimes there is not a need to hit that button. But then again, right. it goes back to right. understanding when to declare. Right. And then you can go, well, you know what? I've got 24 hours of fuel in my generators and I'm not at risk of any of any hardware failure. I'm going to run on gins for a little while and then power will come back. Now, if I go, well, I've only got, you know, six hours of, of fuel left and we're still down. Well, maybe it's not the times to fail over, right? Don't, don't risk it that much. Cause the longer you're, the longer you're on agents, right? Your risk continues to go up. So you, at some point you got a time, you got to say, okay, these, these two lines intersect and this is where I want to, you know, tap out and go fail over. Yeah. Well, I'll say this has been fun. You know, I mean, this is probably one of the longest podcasts we've done in, in, in quite a while that I can remember. And and obviously we're passionate about DR because we can talk ad nauseum about this. Um, you know, William and I talk with clients constantly about DR. And as I said at the very beginning, it's one of my fub- favorite subjects to talk about because because DR is is easy and complex at the same time and everybody's dr environment is just a tad bit different and unique and fun so i I enjoy helping people discover that um but this has been a great conversation william 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, this has been a good conversation. It's been a little longer, but I think uh, hopefully it's entertained our customers. Um, if you're so entertained, please rate us on uh, the iTunes store where we can be found on the Apple uh, podcast um, site. Uh, we're also available on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio. Um, please rate us positively positively if you've liked uh, our content. You can also ask us questions. If you, we'd love to interact with you, you can um, email us at podcast at venue.com or go to our podcast page on our venue website. So you can go to venue.com slash podcasts with an S and there should be a link there up the top that says talk to us and you can click there and fill out a form and ask us questions. Or maybe you have a topic that you'd like, did you feel passionate about that you'd like to have us discuss, or maybe you would even like to be on our podcast. That's something we can happen as well. So that wraps it up today. We're slightly over an hour and um, I think this has been good. Anything else guys? No, no. It's a good conversation, guys. All right. We'll catch you on the next venue podcast. Take care.